Amen. I'd like to direct your attention to the book of 1 Peter, chapter number 4. 1 Peter, chapter number 4. Um, I am still, I'm still savoring um, what happened here on Sunday. I don't know if we've been a long, long time that we had three tongues and interpretation in one service. And the Holy Ghost was here in such an incredible measure. And I'm so very, very thankful for what God is doing. Yes. And ladies and gentlemen, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Okay. First Peter chapter number four. Start reading in verse number 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer. God forbid somebody be in the church that's a murderer. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. And everybody said, praise the Lord. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. You know, there's a lot of people that suffer because of situations that they created. And God will see you through that, but you will not derive the same benefit from that. That's kind of weak right there right there but if you suffer because God is putting something on you and allowing something in your life then you will derive great spiritual benefit from that okay for the time has come the judgment must begin at the house of God and if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? What, what a great question is that? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Amen. That is an amazing passage of Scripture. And we want to talk about, for the next several moments, the hidden side of Pentecost. The hidden side of Pentecost. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. I believe you directed me this evening to talk about some things. God, we give you all the praise and all the glory. Whatever you want to do, wherever you want to lead us, take us, guide us, whatever valley, whatever mountaintop, we trust you, we praise you, we love you, and we worship you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated.
judgment must begin at the house of God. When I read that scripture many, many days ago as a new convert, I didn't have any comprehension to go along with it. And I feel like through the years that God has given me a a grasp of that, that there is a divine purpose for that. And we're going to talk about some things here tonight. So why, just to get that question out there, why must judgment begin first at the house of God? Um, we are we are led to believe that there's blessing in the house of God. We are led to believe that there is victory in the house of God. And the, all of these things are true. They're echoed in the word of God. And there's blessing and there's fellowship and there's strength and there is good things and there is the camaraderie of fellowship of the brethren. And we could go on and on and on tonight. And there are innumerable benefits to being in the house of God. But the Bible says unequivocally, undeniably, that judgment is going to have a starting point. And the starting point of the judgment that is going to come on the entire world is going to first start in the church. The reason for that is found in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. And we will supply these scriptures for you, but you can certainly turn there in your Bible. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 1. The Apostle Paul says, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints. Look at verse two and three. Critical understanding here. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? Now, I don't think the Corinthian church really comprehended the weight of that. That's that's pretty weighty. And it and it and it requires it requires some explanation. But the Apostle Paul is saying this rhetorically, do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, he is, um, he is admonishing and rebuking the Corinthian church for taking their brethren to court. And he, he, is, he is arguing that we that are in the church of the living God and our brothers and sisters in the church of the living God, should be operating on higher ideals than the court system. Right? Okay. And he is saying that, do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? The answer is no. They were fully capable of being able 
uh, to judge matters within the church, but they were, by default, they were doing things in a way that was inappropriate. Look at verse three. Know ye not that we shall judge angels. So this is the very first thing that I want to insert about this very important topic is simply this, that God is refining us so that he can use us to judge the world. And if he's going to judge the world, we can't be guilty of the same thing. I'm going to say that again. We cannot be guilty in the house of God of the very same things that God is going to judge the world for, which means God is going to judge us first, not to destroy us, but to purify us. Let's lift our hands and give God some praise. God has always had a witness from the beginning of time, and it was first the angels. But in this end time, when God begins to judge, he's going to have a group of people that have been delivered, that have been blood-bought, that have been washed, that have been overcomers. I think that's a wonderful thing. That is a powerful thing. Let's clap our hands and give him praise. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter number five. Now, when we talk about the hidden side of Pentecost, what we are referring to, when you think of Pentecost, you think about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. You think about the fulfillment of the prophet Joel. You think about that all of Israel was gathered together for the feast of Pentecost, they were from all over the known world. They were bilingual. They, they not only could speak Hebrew, but they understood the language of the nations where they lived, which is exactly why the Bible said every man heard them speak in his own language, wherein we were born. And then there's a catalog of all those various nations. So when we think of Pentecost, we think about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We think of incredible jubilation. We think of incredible celebration. We think of all the glorious and the wonderful promises that God is fulfilling uh, that, that is found in this prophecy that is recited by the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter number 2. And everybody said amen. But in Acts chapter number 5, we see another component that becomes very much a reality in the early church. Acts chapter 5 Begin reading in verse number one. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Okay, let's get, let's get a little background here. What's going on here? Does God, does God require us? And there's actually some people that believe this. Does God require us to sell all of our stuff and to live communally? That is exactly how that, this particular passage of Scripture is actually taught by some denominational groups, that once you are in the kingdom of God, um, we're, we're to sell all our very nice stuff, and we're to live very 
um, meagerly and humbly and, and almost live communally as a church. That is absolutely 100% false. What is taking place here is, is that you have to understand that the Feast of Pentecost is one of the only feasts, there's only three in the Jewish calendar where the nation of Israel was required to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And it just so happened that one of these pilgrimages was for the Feast of Pentecost. And so all of Israel is gathered together. The outpouring of the Holy Ghost takes place. Right on the, right on the heels of the Apostle Peter preaching, there are 3,000 that are baptized. And then not, not long after that, there's another 5,000 that are added to the church. And it's just a continual multiplication and a building of the church and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. On any given typical year, everybody immediately after the Feast of Pentecost would immediately pack up their beast of burden, whether it's a camel or a donkey or maybe even on their own backs, and they would start the long journey home because the Feast of Pentecost is now over. But on this particular feast, there is an incredible earth-shaking revival that changed the world. And there were multiplied upon multiplied upon multiplied thousands of Jews that chose to stick around Jerusalem now that they have been filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. Okay? But they only brought provision and resource just to get them to the Feast of Pentecost. You know, they still, they still charge people to spend the night at a, at a motel or an inn. I call it a motel. They didn't have motels back then. You understand what I'm saying. They still charge people for food. They still charge them for lodging. So what happened was the church at Jerusalem, the young church, the believers that lived in Jerusalem came together and said, what can we do to help offset the expenses of our brethren that want to stick around and be a part of this Holy Ghost revival? Because there ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because uh, So that's exactly what happened. And it was, the, it was an act, a total act of, of spiritual benevolence and giving and sacrifice. People sold land, people sold possessions, people sold animals, people sold, and they laid the proceeds at the feet of the apostles to be evenly dispersed. Okay? So not only do we have the power of the Holy Ghost with salvation and fellowship and continuing in the apostles' doctrine, but now we have an incredible manifestation of love and benevolence and giving unselfish sacrifice. There was 100% total unity until Ananias and Sapphira were quick to pledge a plot of land. But as soon as it's sold, 
They got other plans. They got out of the spirit. They not only got out of the Holy Ghost, they got out of the spirit of unity, the koinonia that was there among God's people. And they, they changed their plan and changed their pledge. Let's continue to read this. Just wanted to give you a little background on this. Okay? But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, you and I in the, in the 21st century might think that's not a big deal. Is that a big deal? Let's see how God feels about that. Verse 3. But Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? This is the first mention of Satan in the book of Acts. And it's not some demon-possessed guy out there in Judea. It's right among the brethren. The apostle Peter is Holy Ghost filled, is a flame of fire. Why did you lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? He's putting the total responsibility on what they did squarely on them. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Now we want to, we're Pentecostal. We are apostolic in doctrine. We are Pentecostal in experience. And I love to talk, we talk about it every week around here. The Holy Ghost is moving, the Spirit of God is moving. God is here to do wonderful things, and I believe all of it. But when you talk about Pentecost, you have to also include judgment. Because judgment, the same Spirit of God that gives us salvation and gives us the victory, and has made our mortal bodies the temple of the Holy Ghost. That same spirit is a spirit of judgment. And I know that people don't, you know, people don't like, they tighten up on that. You, you, have, to, you have to train yourself. You have to exercise yourself that if it's in the Bible, it's, I love it all. I love the judgment. I love the blessing. I love the covenants. I love the curses. I don't plan on being under any, but it's God. Uh, I love it all. I love the whole counsel of God. To some of you that pick and choose like you're at a smorgasbord, you're constantly up and down and all over the map because you can't allow God to be God. God's going to be God whether we let him be God or not. And I'm going to tell you where you're going to have a move of the Holy Ghost, where you're going to have people following the Spirit of God, where you have people following great revival, you are going to have judgment in the house of God. But you don't need to fear it. Unless you're being a scallywag. 
Hallelujah. Let's look, look at verse 9. Skip down to verse 9 here. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. Look at the benefit in verse number 11. And great fear, that word fear is not dread, it's reverence. And great reverence came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. And so now we're getting a much more complete picture about Pentecost. And at the risk of sounding redundant, you've got the exhilaration of Acts chapter number 2. You have the glory. You have healing at the gate beautiful. You have this guy that's been lame, from birth, and, and here he is running the aisles, jumping up and down in the temple, and, and it's just, it's exhilarating, it's powerful, it's wonderful, it's glorious. But on the other side, you have judgment among God's people. There is no way that we can be a church and not appreciate that. Um, as I've already mentioned, and I understand the smorgasbord. Hey, when I first got saved, um, all I wanted to do was hear one God preaching. I was just a new convert. It was an incredible revelation. Um, I bought, after I'd been in the church for a few years, I bought a Knaves topical Bible. And I, I was learning all these scriptures before I even read that book. It was a, it was a, um, a Bible study help that went through and got all the major themes of the Bible and had all the scriptures in the entire Bible that dealt with those particular themes. But by the time I had been in the church for six months, I had learned a mul I had learned a multitude of one God scriptures. I learned a multitude of talking in tongues scriptures. I learned a every single scripture that I could possibly find in the Bible about Jesus' name baptism. I was I was I was a threat to every well-meaning Trinitarian. I was a walking, talking atomic bomb ready to go off on the nearest uh, Trinitarian. Whether they wanted to hear it or not, they got it. Both barrels. And I never won one soul that way. I won, I won souls, but not that way. And I had to, I had to learn, you know, God's, God's got a better way to get that done. But I was excited about the truth. And you were excited about the truth. It's exhilarating. It's wonderful. It's powerful. It's glorious. But the judgment of God is all a part of being apostolic. Let's look at, there's numerous scriptures we could look at tonight. I did this because I was trying to expedite this tonight. Let's look at John chapter 16 and verse number 8. Talking about when he, the spirit of truth, has come. And when he has come, he will reprove. That means convict. 
To be reproved means to be convicted. He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Okay, that's found in three places. It's found in John 14, 26. It's found in John 15, 13. And it's found in John 16, 11. Exact same scripture. When he, the spirit of truth, has come. When the Holy Ghost comes, the very first thing that he will do after we talk in tongues and bang into the walls and run the aisles and, and laugh uncontrollably and feel clean and washed and giddy and all that good stuff, we're gonna be convicted of our sins. The spirit of God is there to convict of our sins. Because if God is ever going to judge the world, he has to have a witness that was first delivered or an overcomer or, or, or got beyond a particular sin in your life, which is why it's important that the church talk about these things. Because when God identifies that sin in your life, that is not to condemn you. That is not to drive you away. That is to draw you to the cross. That is to draw you to the power of Jesus Christ. That is to draw you to the power of the Holy Ghost. Because when this thing wraps up and the world looks at God and says, we, we, we're, we didn't know anything to do. There's, there's everybody in the world is doing the same thing. God is going to reveal the bride and say, they overcame drugs. They overcame overcame alcohol. They overcame profanity. They overcame laziness. They overcame adultery. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. Judgment must begin first at the house of God. You're not going to escape it. I can't escape it. This is not Rick Mayo's church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And if God is convicting you of something in your life, the best thing that you can do for yourself is just say, God, whatever you want. And what happens is, with this reprove the world of sin and of righteousness of judgment, that's an understanding thing. But what happens is the greatest deliverances in your life will not happen because you're scared to death. The greatest deliverance in your life will happen when you have fallen in love with the love of God, which is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Ghost. There is no stopping what you will do if you're in love with Jesus. Let's lift our hands and give him praise. Come on, let's love him. He's been faithful all these years. And all he wants is for me to give up my sins so he can give me more power, more blessing, more anointing, more relationship. See, God is not going to convict you of something that he is, he's not prepared already something greater to put in its place. Well, I like doing what I'm doing. Well, that's only because you don't know what God has for you. And so you have to operate because it says it in the Bible, but once you, once you come to that place, you may not even totally have the victory over it yet. Oh, I'm preaching tonight. You may not even totally have the victory over it yet, but your will is set against it. 
And then when God starts moving in on you and giving you, you're going to say, where have I been? I've got more love. I've got more power. I'm closer to God than I've ever been. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Pentecost is just the beginning. Let's lift our hands and love him. God, I love you. God, I praise you. God, help us tonight. Convince somebody that laying down that one little deal will be the greatest thing that they ever did for their own selves. Judgment must begin first at the house of God. Let's look at verse number 11, John 16, verse number 11. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. God is going to deliver us and work with us to remove everything from our lives where Satan had a toehold. Somebody could almost argue that this, I mean, God, God fulfilled Old Testament prophecy by doing what he did on the day of Pentecost, but this is the real reason for Pentecost. I mean, we don't do this because of Pentecost. We had Pentecost because of this, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. God has to have a people that are zealous for good works, that are zealous to be of the same nature that he is. Because we're talking about eternity. Yeah, this, what, we're, what we're talking about tonight is a revelation of scripture, of the purpose of having the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And, and the charismatic church just thinks, well, you know, everybody's an apostle or a prophet or blah, 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 blah. And they've missed the whole point of, of the purification, the holiness Once you receive the Holy Ghost, God puts a process in our lives to make us holy. And depending on how deeply rooted some of these characteristics or habits or quirks or compulsions or whatever the case may be, it requires a, different, a deeper process. And some things require a lot of time. But make no mistake about it. When God starts honing in on that, he says, there ain't no compromise. I'm, I'm going after that. You can't, you can't change churches. You can't move to another state. You can't move to another city. You can't move to, to where nobody knows your name and you're just going to slip into the back. You can, you can, you can move to Tierra del Fuego. You can move, you can move to uh, Kathmandu. 
You are not going to escape the process of the Holy Ghost because God knows exactly where you're at and God has been working with us. God has been loving us. God has been walking with us. God has been in us. And he says, that is going to come out. Let's clap our hands and give Jesus the praise. And judgment must begin first at the house of God. That is not a negative. That's a positive. Come on, let's give God the praise. I want his likeness. I want his character. I want his nature. I want more of him. And I know that you do too. Let's look at um, let's look at Second Thessalonians chapter number one, verse number four. So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God. Now, in Peter's, in Peter's passage, it's found in chapter 4, he's talking about suffering is used as an element that brings forth this greater judgment. Go back to verse number four, if you would, please. Let's read that again. Remember, in Peter, he was talking about suffering, but let you suffer as a Christian, not an evildoer. Pastor, I'm really hurting tonight. What happened? Well, I got, I got pulled over, and I had a bunch of dope. They found bags of heroin in the back seat. Don't go to the prayer room. And don't come out of the prayer room. Just live in there. Don't come out until I tell you to. You know, every once in a while, some, some guy will come up and say, Pastor, I'm, this is going on. I'm losing everything. And, and Well, what do you want me to do? Come on, I'm preaching. Now. What do you want me to do? What do you want the church to do? You know, if you're robbing banks, don't come here looking for mercy. You know, pay your tithes first, and then I'm just having fun. Pastor, I've won the state lottery. Some of you have been waiting for me to talk about this. Ladies and gentlemen, it's gambling. And I don't need the world's money. I've got the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to do it the right way. But, no, there are no, there are no buts. I remember here a few years ago, I was reading a study that somebody did about all these people that won these mega jackpot, millions, you know, we're gazillionaires. You know, a guy, he's a custodian, and he gets the winning ticket, and he wins $300 million, but he only gets 50 of it. Don't let, don't, don't let the government fool you. I think all of us are on to the government now. That's why they're scared. Um. But they were doing a study on all these people that had won these enormous 
amounts of money, millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in some cases, and just people that went from rags to riches. And they, they showed how that people were actually worse off. People that didn't give them the time of day, family members that, that hadn't called in years, all of a sudden, oh, how you doing, cousin? What do you want? I want some of that money. And they were talking about how that people's lives were actually worse off because they had won the jackpot, not better. You know, the Bible says that a fool and his money are soon departed. They might have the fast car, the boat, but if you don't have God, you ain't got nothing. Let's clap our hands and give Jesus the praise. If you don't have an apostolic touch of God on your life through the power of the Holy Ghost, all that stuff is meaningless. Absolutely worthless in Jesus' name. All right, let's go back to our scripture. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. So that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations. Now remember, in Peter's case, it was suffering. In this case, in Thessalonica, it was persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Go to the next verse, please. Which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God. God is using the persecutions and the tribulations to make me a better person and to produce Jesus Christ in me that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which also you suffer. Exact same context is 1 Peter chapter number four, but Peter was a general epistle written to the entire church and this was written to Thessalonica. Amazing. God is constantly at work judging the body. Um, it would be very easy to get into some areas in talking about this tonight because, ladies and gentlemen, we can, we can skirt around this all we want to. But the fact of the matter is, is that if it's, genuinely apostolic in doctrine and genuinely Pentecost in experience, you are going to have the judgment of God at work. There's no way around it. There's no way around it. And I have to tell you as a practitioner, a spiritual practitioner, a pastor, that when I see this, I don't, ugh. And I have seen a lot of things over the last 30 years. And when God starts moving and God starts judging, I head for my little rabbit hole. I want to tell you, there's nothing in this world faster than a little cottontail rabbit. 
And when you see those little guys really, really, really going, you ain't got time to lift your shotgun up. That's all I got to tell you. And these kind of things happen. And no pastor can stop it. No church can stop it. There's just things, there's just things that God is doing and that God allows. Here is a familiar passage that reveals this process probably very succinctly in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. We're familiar with 1 Corinthians 11 because it deals with hair, but it actually deals with a lot more than that. Look at verse number 26, 1 Corinthians 11. The Apostle Paul is talking about taking communion. He's talking about communion. Um, and there were some people at Corinth that needed to hear what he had to say. Look at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Look at verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily. What does that mean? That means you better be really living for God. Um, every once in a while, somebody will say, Pastor, I know some things about some people. I do not ask them for more information. Now, there's some things that we just, we, we just, we have to have more information. I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. But when somebody, I'm not saying they're gossiping, but they'll just say, you know what? Um, my family shouldn't even be doing what they're doing because I know stuff that they're doing when they're not here. And I don't ask questions. I'm going to tell you why I'm not asking questions. Because I want it to be God when it happens. I... Some of you, some of you, I need to get that out of my, my wife said, honey, do not say some of you. So please, uh, who's up there running the tape? Erase that from the tape. Thank you. Erase that. There are some people that are just really cool until they get caught. And I'm going to tell you, getting caught is not the motive of the church. The motive of the church is you being delivered or to live a higher life so you're not doing the stupid things that you're worried about getting caught over. Let's clap our hands and give God praise for that. And I don't have anybody in mind. I don't have anybody in mind. I, my heart is... is, is as clean as a, as, a, as a glass in the dishwasher after they've been washed. But I'm just saying I know human nature, 
And, and some people are more prone to some things than others, and so you understand. But some people were not spiritually raised in this church. They were spiritually raised in other environments where they, were, they learned how to sneak. Everybody repeat after me. Sneak. They think as long as the pastor doesn't see them, guess what? God sees. And God's got a much bigger belt. And his belt can get the job done. So the point is to talk about some things so that we can see these things in ourselves and we can let go of them before we before the, it, it, it comes to that. Are you, are you with me tonight? And, and, and the way you do that is you, is you continue to, to have Pentecost and you continue to have the move of the Holy Ghost and you continue to have signs and wonders and you continue to have miracles and you continue to have people getting full of the Holy Ghost and you continue to let God be God and you continue to have unity and you continue to preach and you continue to teach and you continue to rebuke and you continue to reprove with exhortation, clap your hands and give God the praise. You gotta have it all. Everybody say sneak. What did you do when you caught your kids sneaking around? They only did it once that you know of. Oh, we can move on. I think I made my point. But a healthy apostolic church that's preaching the whole counsel of God has to talk about these things because it's not the pastor that you can, you can fool and, and think that that's okay. It's God that we want to please. It's, it's, it's God that I'm living for. It's God that saved for me. It's Jesus that died for me. It's Jesus that forgives me. It's Jesus that empowers me. It's Jesus that I'm in love with. Oh, well, let's clap our hands and give him praise. And God, we all need your help tonight. In Jesus' name. So we're talking about communion. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. That's pretty serious stuff. But let a man examine himself. I'm in verse 28. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. I'm going to tell you what I think that examination means. It means if we got some repenting to do, let's just let's get it taken care of. I don't believe that the whole the whole point here is is to keep people from not taking communion. It's to get right, get your heart right, get your life right. Come on somebody. This is it. no, no. The body of Christ is sustained by taking communion. And it's not really the apostle's point 
to, to keep people outside the perimeter of being blessed by taking communion. But he is warning people of letting them know that if you got some, if you got some forgiven to do, let's do it. If you got to hit the altar, let's do it. If you got to go to your brother, let's do it. If you got to get it under the blood, let's do it. Come on, let's clap our hands and give God the praise. Whatever it takes. I want to be part of the body. I want to be rapture ready. I want to be right with God. But let a man examine himself. So that so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. That's what he's saying. Examine yourself. Get it taken care of. And then come on, let's, let's be a part of this. This is a God thing. It's a wonderful and glorious thing. For he that eateth, I'm in, I'm in verse 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation. That word is to be judged. To be condemned to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Many have died. You say, well, pastor said they're sleeping. I know. I know. There were people that died in the, in the ministry of Jesus, and Jesus said, no, they're, they're asleep. God judged. You know, when you, when you start talking about the body of Christ, you know, you, 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 can't, you can't put your little arrogant, carnal little spin on everybody. Oh, that's just old Bradford. Don't worry about him. That's, you know, we have, our, we have this little opinion of people in a church. And it's, this church is going to continue to grow. It's going to get bigger. And, and every once in a while you get people, especially people that are, that are isolated from the body, they, they start looking at people and they form these opinions about people. Okay? Now, do you see the way that guy was running the aisles talking about Brother Cody Cobbs? Thank God he's running. Could be running the streets. He's running the aisles. I'm not talking about laughing with people that laugh, but I'm talking about having your, your little, your, your, your human slant on people. And you've developed an opinion about, you better understand something. These are people that Jesus died for. This is what I'm talking about. When you take communion, you got to say, that's my brother. That's my sister. You might have messed up, but you're going to heaven with me. You might, you might, I don't care what the government says about you. I don't care what the devil says about you. You are blood bought. You are baptized in Jesus' name. You are my brother and you are my sister and I love you. Let's clap our hands and give him great praise. Now, the reason why I bring that up is God is hard on that spirit. When God gets to judge in that spirit, it's, it's hard. The best thing to do is just love everybody. 
There was a guy I went to church with years ago that did not know his right hand from his left hand. The reason why I know that is his wife told me that. She said, Brother Mayo, he does not know his right hand from his left hand. And he almost looked proud that he didn't, he didn't know what his right hand from his left hand. Don't, don't let him get behind a wheel when I'm around. Make sure he doesn't get his pilot's license. You know, the church is going to attract all kinds of fish. And you can tell really who is allowing the Holy Ghost to work in their life because they can love more personality types. In the flesh, there are just some personality types that are going to rub you wrong. There are some personality types that are going to rub me wrong. Why is it every time you, have a, you get a new job, there's always one person on that job that you're thinking, I'll be praying. I thought it was all great till that one guy walked in, and I know I'm going to be praying on this job. You know, God allows that. God's not going to make it so peachy keen that we don't have to pray. Oh, I'm in the Holy Ghost right now. God's going to make sure that if you get to the level that he has always seen you to be, that he plants something in your life, not so that you'll suffer, not that you'll be hurt, but it'll agitate you to pray and take you to another level in the Holy Ghost. That's why you guys in this church that are self-employed, God's going to get you one way or another. It might be that one homeowner, the homeowner from hell. I was a professional house painter for several years before I started evangelizing, and I painted a house for the homeowners from hell. I don't like being stared at when I'm working, as if I'm about to make a mistake. And these people thought that it was their duty to just stand right underneath that ladder and just watch everything I was doing. I felt like saying... I get a nervous twitch and throw paint at people if they're close to me, but that would be lying. And God had delivered me from lying. I used to be a first-class liar. I'd lie about stuff that you didn't even need to lie about, but when you're a liar, you don't even know you're lying anymore. You just lie about everything. So if you're self-employed, God is going to make sure that you come in contact with people that are going to help you pray. That is not to hurt you. That is to help develop you. So bake them some cookies and say, I really appreciate you. Are you really going to have to pray to say that and mean it? You know, in a church this size, when God starts adding people to the church, you get people that they just, they just start getting on other people's nerves. Now, when I got saved, that church, 
I thought that church loved me. Uh, to this day, I'm convinced that church loved me. Nobody told me any different. But I just know that I got on people's nerves. Have you ever met people that just don't want to be around babies? No, no, get, get rid of that baby. No, uh, we can't have that baby here, no. If you're going to have babies, you're going to have a handprint there. Um, you may have toys out. Um, it's going to be less than perfect, okay? This, we want to make sure that Cornerstone is not so perfect that we can't have babies, Okay? In fact, I want, I want to see some homeless people on these pews. I want to see some people that are battling chemical addiction on these pews. I want to see, yes, yes, this is for them. This is for everybody. Oh, let's clap our hands and give God the praise. This is for everybody. I know this church is fancy and it's clean and beautiful and that's nice, this is nice. We want it to be nice. It's how we feel about God. It's how we feel about the things of God. But we don't want it so nice. And you can't have some guy that was drunk on Saturday night sleeping on the back pew. Just leave him alone. Don't wake him up unless he's snoring. Because I ain't going to preach with the guy snoring. This church is for everybody. And that's exactly what we're designed for. Let's lift our hands and love him. By the authority of the name of Jesus. This is a factory, a human factory that takes raw material and converts them into saints. Instead of being hell-bound, we're heaven-bound. Now, we've all read these scriptures. You've read these scriptures. I've read these scriptures. We usually recite some of this before we actually take communion. But I want to read the rest of this because it's going to give you an understanding and, and underscore some of the comments that I've been making here tonight. Um, let's go to verse 30 again. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Look at this. Look at verse number 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. If you're following the Holy Ghost in your life, you don't need God to do anything. This is amazing to me. For if we would judge ourselves, God always gives the first right to me. And I want to tell you, God thinks higher of me than I think of myself. God always gives the first opportunity to me to exercise greater character, greater integrity, 
and he furnishes all of us with that opportunity. Look at verse 32. But when we are judged, this is the operation of the Holy Ghost. This is the same Holy Ghost that caused us to speak in other tongues. This is the same Holy Ghost that brought the washing of regeneration. This is the same Holy Ghost that blesses us and causes us to celebrate and lift our voice and shout with a voice of triumph. Same spirit. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. God's trying to purify you so that you can be saved and be a component of that judgment that God can say, see, they quit drugs. They quit drinking. They quit lying. They quit unholy living. They quit uncleanness. They quit filthiness of the flesh. And God will be justified in judging the world once he purifies the church. Let's lift our hands and just talk to Jesus. There's, there's a bunch of folks here tonight. God loves you too much to leave you alone. Pastor, I'm already good. I'm all good. Eh. Only God knows what's good. I got scripture for that. When we think we're good, God peels back the covering and shows us, hey, I got a long way to go. I got a long way to go. I've only got a couple more scriptures left, and then I'm done. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse number 20. Can everybody read that? Andrew, can you read this from where you're sitting? Oh, you're looking back there. Okay. Can all, everybody can see that scripture? How many lawsuits would we be facing if we did that? I can't believe the pastor rebuked me for sinning. Is that not in the Bible? What would be the purpose of that? Humiliation. Shame. Condemnation. No, that's not the purpose of that. The purpose of that is so that others may fear. I try to preach in such a way that, that, that may let some people know that they know that I know that they know and that they know that I know that they know and that they know that I know that they know. Stick with me. Because if you knew that I knew that they knew, then you would know what I know. And if you understand all that, said praise the Lord. See, I know, I know some things. And a God called pastor will operate on what he knows, what he sees, and what he hears. 
I can't believe the pastor's talking about that. A good pastor will preach on what he knows, what he sees, and what he hears. So he doesn't have to mention names. So he doesn't have to make people feel. But you should hit the altar when you know it's you. You should hit your face when you know it's you. You should be on your knees when you know it's you. You should take advantage of an opportunity when you know it's you. Oh, let's clap our hands and give God the praise. We're not into humiliation. We're not looking to embarrass. We're not looking to condemn people. Well, don't, don't tell pastor this. Why? Because he'll start preaching at me. If the, if the pastor starts preaching at you, it's because he loves you. If God didn't love you, he'd let you go your own way. And that would guarantee your doom. But if God loves you and the pastor loves you, the pastor's not going to be afraid to get out there and talk about a few things. Is this all right? Well, pastor, I was apostolic till I seen that scripture. You're going to have to love it all. The reason why I use this scripture is because I believe that there are some things that probably needed to, need to be clearly denounced so that others may have reverence. You know, when you have a situation develop in, in any given church, a pastor has to pull out his sword to make sure that it, it doesn't start a demonic trend. Well, I didn't, you know, I didn't like the pastor's tone tonight. Well, did you know what the pastor was doing? I don't really care what he was doing. I, I, I'm, I've, only, I've, I've only got one tone. And it's like an AM radio on one. Well, I apologize, but this pastor probably ain't never going to sound like an AM radio on one. But you just got to understand that rebuking people is not going to come across like a suggestion. It's going to come across like if you don't get rid of that, if you don't get that out of your life, you are going to be lost. Come on, somebody. When you understand that people, there's people across this congregation here today that are privy to things in other people's life, you ought to thank God when the pastor gets up and begins to, that's not his way of embarrassing people. That's his way of trying to save people. Come on, let's clap our hands and give God the praise. There's sometimes that the Holy Ghost moves on the pastor to preach on things that he, know, he doesn't have any idea what's going on. But God knows what's going on. And that's God's way of dealing with it. It's apostolic. The same spirit that regenerated us, the same spirit that gave us the power to speak in other tongues, the same spirit that we feel when we lift our hands, give him praise, give him glory, is the same spirit that's judging us. And it's judging us and perfecting us and convicting us, not because God is against us, 
but because God is going to use us to judge the world and to judge the demons that were sitting on your shoulder every day of your life, accusing you and telling you what a dog you were and telling you you're never going to be anything. If you stay in the church and get the victory and start living for God, you're going to be able to look at that devil and say, I'm here and you're there. Devil, you might have had yesterday, but you can't have today and you can't have tomorrow and you're not going to have my salvation. Let's stand to our feet and clap our hands and give God great praise. Come on, let's praise him. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give him praise for his goodness, his wonderful works among the children of men. God, I praise you. God, I give you glory. God, I give you honor. God, I thank you. I praise you in all things. And I thank you for all these wonderful, godly, great people. And I really mean that in Jesus' name. Let's lift our hands one more time. Let's love him. Let's pray. Let's pray together as a church. God, I love you. God, I praise you. God, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. If it's like Abraham and take my promise. And get ready to sacrifice the promise that I've been living for my entire adult life. I'll do it. All right. I want you to shake hands and smile and be friendly and hug a brother or a sister. You know, don't just go to the same people all the time. Some of you go to your family members and go to, go to somebody you never get a chance to hug them. In Jesus' name, God bless you all.